Today's reading is Luke 1, 68 through 79. It can be found on page 945 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The word of the Lord. you to pray with me. God of grace, as we sit down in these seats and we um, consider words that are ancient, and as we find ourselves in a season that our surrounding culture um, recognizes in a different way than we're recognizing in here. We come from different kinds of experiences and places. Our stories often are remarkably different, and our experiences varied. And our spiritual condition before you may feel anywhere between uh, trauma this morning and euphoria, and all the places between. So as we sit here and we bring unspoken things to you, and our hearts are heavy or maybe light with news we have received or voices in our head that we can't get rid of, the truth is all of us are similar in that we're not perfect and we're more of a mess than we care to admit. So we come to this story now and we ask... And we put our trust in the fact that you keep saying over and over that you move towards messy lives and broken people, people who don't have it all together. You explain the, the drive for glory and euphoria that we feel, but you also soothe the wounds and the trauma. So would you now speak to us through the grace that moves towards messy lives? Would you help us to know that that even though we are more of a mess than we care to admit, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. That both of those things can be possible and are true at this very same time. And transform us through knowing that and applying that to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You can't get excited about 
rescue and being rescued if you don't know that you're in trouble. The question of the week last week said, who's in more trouble than they realize? Who's in for more trouble than they realize? And somebody very, this is like the poetic answer, went this way. The troublemakers and rabble-rousers, the politicians and the power-brokers, the warmongers and the saber-rattlers, the rich, powerful, and unscrupulous, and everyone on the naughty list. <laughs> like that. And another answer went this way. I usually think that I'm in more trouble than I actually am. Some of you have that knowing look in your eyes like, yeah, you can resonate with that feeling. Someone else said, uh, so who's in more trouble than they realize? God is teaching me to trust, to trust no matter what trouble may be. And then someone else said, they went the um, pop culture movie route and said, who's, who's in more, for more trouble than they think? Clint Eastwood's character in Unforgiven. And then they got the quote, we all got it coming, kid. Yeah. Yeah, moviegoers? Yeah. I actually haven't seen that movie. Sorry. But that's why we have the question of the week, so that you guys can you know, provide what I don't bring to the table. More trouble than you realize you're in. Years ago, this had to be about seven, eight years ago, we went to a beach with uh, some of our extended family. Northern California Beach. I believe it was by Point Reyes. And we played there for a couple of hours, and then and we had all, all these little kids, little, little kids, cousins, my kids, my two oldest ones were just small. And then as we left, there was a sign that, I forget if we had seen it going in, but we for sure saw it going out, and there's a picture, that I, a still picture that I took from a video. And this is, the, this is our little, he's 10 now, but this is Kuiper, and it says, you can't read all of it, it says, Danger, stay back. And then it has all these very ominous messages. I, uh, I had to go back in the video and look, and so I, had, I got it on my phone here, what it actually says. Very ominous. Let's see if I can get it here. So it says, um, there's something called sleepers, or sleeper waves, and they will take you off ledges and out to sea. Those who fall could strike their heads before landing in the ocean. Few survive. (laughs) And then this is the other paragraph. The surf at this beach has caused the death of many people who were simply walking the shoreline. Without warning, large unpredictable waves called sleepers place a large mass of water far up the shore. Sleepers knock down both children and adults who struggle to regain footing in eroding sand. The wave backwash then takes them out to sea. Few survive. And it goes on. So this is the message we find. And of course, we then took videos of our children playing around the sign. And, and there's laughter in the videos, of course, because we were done with our like two or three hours of playing on this beach. Um, so we could laugh about the sleeper waves. And I don't know if you can see on that picture, but they even add these pictures um, that show someone falling off a cliff, and then it has the cross out through it, and then someone fishing off of an edge, and it crosses it out, and then it has someone walking along the beach, and it crosses it out, and it says on the bottom, dial 911. I mean, just, just this extremely um, 
intense warning sign. And apparently people do. I looked it up. People do die every year um, on some of these places where there are these sleeper waves that come up and they get pulled out. You know, usually they're fully clothed because it's cold and they get pulled out unknowingly out into the icy cold water and, um, and few survive, apparently. So during Advent, how, what does this have to do with Advent? During Advent, the Christian church has always looked towards Christmas and Christ's coming and, and, and it's this emphasis on our need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. And not everyone thinks that that's a universal need. Uh, not all of us here think that that's a universal need, um, especially by how we live. We, we live like we think we can rescue ourselves. It's a little bit like when I'm in the grocery store and I can't find something like quinoa, and so, and, and this actually happens a lot, and I don't, really don't like it, is that I ask them where it is. I ask someone where it is, and instead of just telling me, they take me all the way there, and it feels kind of condescending, or I don't know, pa- patronizing? What's the word I'm looking for? I don't like it, okay? <laughs> just tell me the number. I need a tip, that's all. I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need crutches to get there. So I don't like that, but I think that's representative of us spiritually speaking. Give me a tip, right, in my spiritual journey. Give me... <laughs> I, appreciate the, I appreciate the laughter. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But I get it, I get it, yeah. And, and by the way, if, if we have someone who walks in here and asks where the, the kids' ministry is, please take them over there. Um, that, you know, because I want that kind of customer service here too. But... Um, <laughs> I don't think we I don't think we're really really in touch with our our deep spiritual need for rescue. I don't I don't know that we're that we're as in touch with it as Zechariah is as he as he says this this song he launches into it and it's full of these of these you know effusive descriptions of how he's aware that God is coming, that rescue is coming. He's aware of his trouble. As one writer put it, commenting on this verse, this is N.T. Wright, the theologian slash um, um, priest. He says that this is Zechariah's world. This was the sense of someone like Zechariah in the time and place when he lived, first century, um, uh, the area of Judea. Something is wrong in the world. People are suffering. Your people are suffering. Wicked foreigners have come from far away with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands. Darkness and death have stalked the land. Many people in many countries, so, and now this is him pulling back away from Zechariah's um, experience, many people in many countries have had all this to think about over many centuries. I would say that we don't quite as much, but you can see in Zechariah, see what happens is, He's, this pre- he's, he's in the priestly clan, and he goes to do his priestly duty in the temple. And, to, and as he's going in and doing the things he's supposed to do, the rituals he's supposed to do, the angel Gabriel appears to him to tell him that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. They are very old. People knew the same things about age and childbirth 2,000 years ago as we know today. And they were too old. Everyone knew it. They were too old. And so the angel tells him that he's going to have a baby, his wife is, and, and he's skeptical. And so the angel Gabriel, it's this interesting interaction. 
that um, this is how it's summarized by someone I was reading this week. Said that, it, that Gabriel came in and told him that, um, announced to him that Elizabeth would finally have a child who would fulfill all these ancient prophecies as the Messiah is going to come. And when Zechariah was a bit skeptical about this promise, he and Elizabeth, like Abraham and Sarah and so many before them, were kind of old to have kids, Gabriel lost it a little bit, pointed the angelic clicker at Zechariah and hit the mute button. <laughs> Do you know the story? He, goes, he can't speak for the rest of the pregnancy. He can't speak. Interesting. He was skeptical. And so he couldn't speak. Except, And then finally the baby is born. And when the baby is born, then that's the day when his voice is given back to him. And then the first thing that we have recorded of what he says is this song, the song of Zechariah. And it's a beautiful song. It's a very you know, Advent-themed song. And someone put it this way. The passage is exquisite. The psalm that Zechariah sings in Luke 1, because it really is a psalm, the way that you know, there's those 150 psalms in the Bible. The psalm that he sings in Luke 1 is one of the most beautiful psalms in the New Testament. Well, in the whole Bible, for that matter. Beautiful psalm, and it's an Advent psalm. And from the very first verse, verse 68, we, we feel the Advent themes. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Has this, it's full of this Advent sense of the waiting has not been in vain. This ancient God who has made promises long ago, there's been a dialogue over the century. And maybe God hasn't seemed to have picked up the phone in a while, but something now appears to be happening and we believe in it. That covenant with Abraham, all those prophets that came and spoke these glorious words of one day, it's happening. He's coming. Redemption. And he seems really excited about it. But these kind of Advent declarations of hope and of joy and of how amazing this is that God really comes, I think that they fall for us on pretty comfortable hearts. Comfortable hearts. Hearts convinced often of the uselessness of pinning any hopes on God spiritual things, faith, ancient scriptures. Maybe you come with some of that. Some of that, just that sense of, uh, is, it really, is it really the main thing? Is it really useful? Is it really doing anything to pin your hopes there? Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you just resonate with those of us whose hearts, we, we have hearts that are um, comfortable and that are maybe just figuring out how to be as excited about the arrival of the Christ child as we are about a, a football game or year-end bonuses or a month off from school. How do we, you know, how do we drum up the, okay, this is the season, can we kind of dial it in and drum up a little bit and get, get into the other Christmas spirit a little bit? And we kind of scratch our heads, I don't know, can we? Is it going to work? In this psalm, we have mention in, in verses 71 and verse 74 of salvation, of rescue. And you just can't get excited about rescue and salvation 
if you don't think that you're in very much trouble. And that ominous sign at the beach that I showed up there, maybe, maybe put it up there again, there's another slide. That ominous sign at the beach about uh, sleeper waves. In a sense, like, we could do well for signs like that in our spiritual life. I know some of you, you've been in around church settings where that doesn't sound healthy because you've, you know, fear, scare, let's scare you into belief. Not so much that, just truth-telling about our situation. To the point where, you know, similar to this sign, if you read the sign and then you, and, and literally the sign is here and the path down to the beach is right next to it. It's very well placed. If you continue down this path, this is where you're going. Just some truth-telling about our path and the trouble that we might be in if we go forward. If we go forward as people who are often pinning our, our hopes on all kinds of things, and pinning our hopes on, maybe pinning your hopes on, on retirement. You know, someday retirement will come, and I'll get to do this, and I'll get to do that, and my money's going into here, and, and I've got this lined up, and that's the time I'm going to be able to do this. And then that time comes, and someone has been pinning their hopes on that, but then when they're 64, let's say, they contract a disease, and life is suddenly not going to be what it was all planned it was going to be. Or we're pinning on our, our hopes on all kinds of things. Like you, you pick your thing. What is your thing you're pinning your hopes on day in and day out? You know, physical health? Is it physical beauty? Is it career advancements? What is it? Is it your bank account? Is it your marriage? If, if I get married, you know, then this... Or uh, in my marriage, this is how I'm going to be happy. Or by having kids, or I, where are you pinning your hopes? On this kind of degree, this kind of education will set me up. I will be happy. My hopes will be met. Where are you pinning your hopes? Because oftentimes then when we get those things, when we have them, we realize if we really stop, we have, we have it. But something says it's not really... It's not satisfying. It's not what I thought it would be. It's not, it's not answering all of the things that are still stirring within me. And that's really the first sign that you're seeing that you are in some way adrift. Because we all are, in one way or another. We're all spiritually adrift. And so you get one little voice that maybe you realize it and you say, wait a minute, I'm, being, I'm actually being pulled out <laughs> I am unanchored, I am untethered, I am not connected to solid ground anymore, and I am just out here. How did this happen? I just got pulled out by a sleeper wave. Um, and we don't, we don't want to be rescued, necessarily. Even once we realize that, it's so hard to realize, but yeah, maybe I don't think I need to be rescued, though. I mean, can't I just get a swimming tip, right? Can't I just get a suggestion on how to get back to shore? Isn't that? In the worship guide, you'll find this quote by Calvin Miller. It's, a, it's actually a poem. I think it's in there. A humanist in choking sea called for help and presently received in full intensity advice. You must swim, if you would be. Rescue breeds dependency. Self-reliance makes one free. That's nice, he said. 
and floated easily and dead. <laughs> and so this is why this is why John the Baptist is a part of the Advent season. Every Advent, we, we dive into hearing about it. At some Sunday, John the Baptist. Actually, next week, we're going to get another dose of John the Baptist, more of what he is saying um, in his ministry. But just this prophecy is forecasting John the Baptist, and you read as Zechariah talks about it, he, he, he knows what his child is going to be. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And it's that preparation that is sort of like a sign along the path for us and for the people. In some ways, you can, you can kind of look at, um, you look at John the Baptist and go, why all this delay? Why? You know, the Christmas story is there's the cute baby Jesus. Why, why throw in a second baby into the mix? Doesn't that just kind of muddle things and delay things? And why, why are we spending this time dealing with John the Baptist? Why? I mean... It's all about Jesus anyway, right? I mean, and seriously, you can kind of look at it and go like, why the, why the extra thing in here? Isn't Jesus enough? You know, if you're a Christian, especially, if Jesus is all you need. Why, why do you need another person to come right before him? But in many ways, it, I just described why. It's that, oh, give me a tip. Give me some advice. I'm okay. And John the Baptist's ministry becomes that sort of, that sort of sign that does some truth-telling about where our lives just sort of take us as we get swept away and swept up in things and wake up because even the best swimmer among us doesn't have quite the goods to overcome the undertow. You need rescue. And if only we could see, I think this is part of John the Baptist, this is part of our need and our culture in this season, if only we could see and have a moment where we see clearly that the lives we live, actually the dynamics of the lives we live, if we could see it good, and sometimes you do, sometimes you see it, and you come to me and you describe it better than I could, you realize that the life you have lived has made you so far from God. It's left you so far from God's presence. You thought you were doing so great. And that's where we find ourselves. That may not be the phrasing you use, but I believe it's the best way to explain that the sort of alienation that you have in your life, the restlessness, the agitation that these things go unanswered. So that's our condition. And the, the song of Zechariah bravely, bravely offers us something amidst that alienation, amidst that lost at sea amidst the agitation. And you really see it come through, as James just read it, you see it coming through in verses 77 and 78, through the forgiveness of their sins. Salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. That's the, that's the overriding answer to if you do kind of wake up and say, oh, maybe I am a little bit adrift. Maybe I am. Maybe I need more than a little swimming tip spiritually. If you had all open, you know, have that little door open, the answer is right here. In the forgiveness of sins and in the tender mercy of our God. I love that phrasing. The tender mercy of our God. 
You know, Zechariah points at a lot of political kind of enemy factors and, and how they are an oppressed people and all this, but he doesn't find the answer in this song in war. He doesn't find the answer in fighting or in a new government and politic. He finds, he camps out as he comes to the climax of this song. He comes to the tender mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins. And so I think the question becomes, where are you? Where are you in this song? Where are you in the story? As that offer, that tender mercy kind of comes in to your life and offers itself to you. You might find yourself like, maybe you're like Zechariah in the temple, and you're a skeptic. There's a just, you know, you call yourself a realist, but, you know, I'll call you a skeptic, a skeptic. And, you know, maybe there's just some skepticism there, and it's just, that's you. You're that person. As the hopes are mentioned, as the season uh, kind of generates a lot of them, maybe you're the person, like in the poem, maybe you're the person out at sea, you need, you need a rescue helicopter, but you'd like a swimming tip. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself like a YouTube video I once saw where this rescue team in the Arctic icy water is going to rescue this domestic dog that's paddling in the icy water, is for sure going to die and can't get himself up on these blocks of ice that are floating around. And the rescuer reaches in, in to pull him up, and he bites the rescuer in the face <laughs> and drops him back in. Maybe, maybe that's you, right? There, there's a, a, even our resistance is so strong that even when it comes to the rescue is right in front of us and God's offer of tender mercy is there, there's still, there's still a trust level there. There's still a resistance and an independence that you're hanging on to. Maybe you're cold and wet, but you're, you are rescued and that you just find yourself in that sort of, you're, you're warming up. You're on solid ground. Or maybe you really feel like you're drowning right now. Maybe you even have that voice in your head that says, I should have known better. <laughs> I saw the sign. <laughs> I should have known better. The God of Advent comes with rescue, whether you should have known better or not. That's a gracious word. Whether you should have known better or not, the God of rescue comes. That's Advent. These signs on the beach, they suggested basically there's no mercy there is no safety net. There's, there's no forgiveness. That's very unlike the message of Advent, of the rescuer of Advent. You might get swept out. But the tender mercy of God sweeps its way into your life. The beach sign has that doom and that fear. And, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but maybe you've been in places, churches in your spiritual you know, uh, development where that message of doom and fear was kind of like the meat and potatoes that was thrown at you and you didn't find it, you'll find it gracious to know that that isn't the, the rescue that we're talking about. There's hope, there's grace, there's a tender mercy of God. The waves will pull us out, they'll keep trying to pull us out and the tender mercy keeps sweeping in. Let's pray. Our God of grace, we stand in our lives in between your first coming in Jesus and your second coming, in which scripture tells us you'll renew all things. And so as we wait for that and as we figure out how to 
stay rooted in you and how to implement in our lives practices that avail ourselves regularly of your rescue as opposed to thinking that rescue is a temporary mode and then we'll work our way back to you and swim our way back to the good life. Would your Holy Spirit allow us to grow, if not just one tiny step in the direction of living amidst your rescue and having it define everything about our lives moving forward? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.